well, it's nearly time for the podcast, but I think probably the best way to prepare for it is to have an hour-long preamble before the actual podcast starts. That, uh, that seems like a good way to open Ribbon of Memes number 26, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other guests as masterpieces. I am joined as ever by the resplendent Roger. Uh, I'd just like to mention that I went shopping this morning and it was oh very dull. God. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Nick. And you are welcome to join us for our uh, first 1987 episode, um, but our last John Huston episode, or at least chronologically, because this is John Huston's last film, 1987's The Dead. Uh, starring his own daughter, uh, mm. if starring is appropriate <laughs> in this context. Um, we didn't know much about The Dead when we started it, but uh, we liked John Huston. We wanted to try something different for an episode. Is the, this, is, this is a film that has been well regarded by people who aren't us. Absolutely. <laughs> we may be, we'll Sorry, be that, that may be giving things away there. Well, the, um, okay, the, the, the summary of the plot is... This is a dinner party. I think that about covers it. Oh no, there's, there's an, a, an a, epiphany dinner party. An epiphany dinner party. You have to wait the whole film for the epiphany, but when it comes, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's it certainly is one, I suppose. But there we go. This is based rather closely, I believe, on a James Joyce short story. James mm. Joyce, not one of my favourite authors, I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to admit. I did tackle Finnegan's Wake and probably shouldn't have done. Um, I, I, I am by Virginia Woolf is similar but much better. I am very much of his wife's opinion who said, why can't you write books people can understand? <laughs> Well, maybe he wrote The Dubliners, a collection of short stories, to spite her, because uh, you can certainly <laughs> understand um, the dead. Uh, yeah, OK. Well, we love John Huston. I mean, we have covered The Maltese Falcon, his first feature, and we're wrapping up with his final feature in his late... Eight, was he in his late 80s at this point? Something like that. He was certainly uh, directing from a wheelchair, um, tethered to an oxygen tank and so on. Yeah, I think not even in the same room quite often, um, because he couldn't sort of, he wasn't mobile enough to fit into it. Um, and he was extremely ill. It obviously meant a lot to, I mean, the, the Dublin is, uh, is a collection of short stories. This is the dead from it. Is it, is the original story called the dead? It is. I yeah. can't remember. Um, and it's a fairly, um, well, I think it's a faithful adaptation. It possibly goes into more. I was going to read the, 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 story but i lost i lost the will to, to do that i I, um, I have not read it i i am told that it is quite faithful there's, there's one extra character introduced uh okay one of the guys who reads a poem but um oh yes the the oh yeah the the that guy yeah all right <laughs> well so what we have here is a fairly detailed recreation of um I forget what year it's set. It's like early 1900s, is it? Late 1800s? Yeah, I think it came out in, the collection came out in 1904 or thereabouts. So okay. About that. Well, it, it feels like that in a snowy winter in Dublin. So very festive, uh, uh, considering we're recording this, uh, almost around Christmas time. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very close, detailed look at a, a dinner party, 
run by three spinsters who are, I think, mm-hmm. two sisters and their niece. Yeah. yeah. Um, four members of the Dublin kind of musical echelons, the upper, middle upper musical echelons, um, and their friends and family. Uh, we have an opera singer, we have poets, we have associated friends. Um, we have I, I never and, Gabriel. And, yeah, various people who have married their former students, that kind of thing. Yes, that's what we have. The 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 kind of protagonist, though it's not uh, really entirely clear that he's the main protagonist until perhaps the last half hour of the film. There, there are hints. Is Gabriel, who is a, a journalist. Yeah, um, he, I, I I believe from from reading descriptions of it, though I didn't really pick it up in the film, is, is that he is the nephew of one of the spinsters. Yeah, well, they certainly respond in that sort of way to him. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, and, and what we have is an hour of the dinner party, I would say. It felt longer. Something like but that, Pretty yeah. much a fairly detailed hour of the, the preamble, the dance, some recitations, the dinner party and the small talk that goes on around it. An interesting character crops up at one point and talks about um, Irish nationalism and then leaves <laughs> before, <laughs> before anything interesting about that happens. Um, there, so there is a sort of frisson of uh, romance between her and Gabriel, I suppose, or uh, rivalry or something lost. Or I'm not I, th- I think she's challenging him. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. And it's a combination of... Do do you do you want to come after me in a romantic slash sexual way? And do you have the guts to abandon your basically pro-British attitude and and become and uh, work for Irish freedom? Yes, and they, these Which... are clearly compatible things. <laughs> exactly. Um... Which is an interesting plot, which uh, is not developed in any way <laughs> in the remainder of the film. Uh, we never find out whether Gabriel does that or not. Um, uh, so, I mean, uh, uh, I don't want to dwell on the dinner party. But I, uh, my problem with the film, with the narrative structure of it, is that you could have started... What happens... Spoilers. Uh, I mean, we always do spoilers anyway. In all our, what happens is that um, Gabriel's wife... Angelica Houston, um, Loretta, is walking down the stairs at the end of the dinner party and hears the singer above singing a particular tune which sends her back into a reminiscence of an old lover that she lost. Um, and I, I would have been lover at that. I would have been. No, I mean, it's it's... Well, we can talk about the epiphany afterwards, but my structural problem with the film is you could have started the film at that moment and lost nothing. Yeah, I I do want to talk about the party a bit because yes, yes. Uh, we we have talked before in films, and this is the thing that I've, I've really come to appreciate through do, doing doing this podcast with you that one can have uninteresting things happening with unpleasant people, but it can still be good film. <laughs> yes, I uh, agree. This this particular sort of party where, you know, people have been got together because of some tenuous connection that none of them really feels. Yes. They don't have anything in common. They don't have anything yes. to talk about. This is something that I have gone to an awful lot of trouble to avoid in my life. Well, I was going to, this should be very relatable. 
And to some extent it is. We've all, I mean, we've not all been to that point, but I, I completely agree. We've all been in that sort of situation. I mean, in the pub after work, you can at least talk about work. You've got that much in common. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think both of us largely don't like... We enjoy a lot of gaming and games and friends who are into games and this sort of thing. Uh, but having spending time with people you don't have a lot of common with, where you've just got... I, the thing I find with that personally difficult is you've only got yourself to present. You haven't really got anything to lean on. I'm not good at chit-chat. I'm not generally mm-hmm. interested in things that other people are interested in. Um, well, that's the thing. I, I, I've... My th- working theory is that everybody has a subject that they can be fascinating on. One of the most boring people I know has certain things, and if you can steer her conversation to that, she's really interesting. Right, yes. Um, I don't think anybody listening to this will know who that person is, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but, <laughs> but in a setting like this, you can't. It, it's, it's not, you, you, you can't talk about, well, you know, here, here is this thing I did this morning. Because that's you know, least... not what the chit chat is about. The chit chat is about random, common topics. Yes, exactly, and that's a difficult. So, yeah, and did you... so. I guess we agree that it's a relatable situation. Um, did, but but in, in terms of the filming, did... I, right, I yes. did find myself thinking, "My word, that is a tremendously challenging filming environment." Um, yes, I mean we're not talking Kubrick levels of authenticity of lighting and so on there there are obviously lights above the camera light yeah it does but, feel a little know, fake small rooms uh crowded difficult to mic so you can get a, a plausible uh, either the ambience or the people who actually want to hear there there is technical skill going on here and there is there is artistic skill as well that's i mean that's a good point we've seen a yeah, lot yeah. of film dinner parties um <laughs> this is well this is a well filmed at no point was i confused about what was happening i mm. was confused about why, why i was interested in it but um, who, who are the I, characters we should be keeping track of I, I didn't feel was particularly established though maybe that's deliberate well i guess, I guess i've touched on that and then it's not entirely clear that gabriel's the character who who this is happening to in a way. Yeah, which I think is clearer in, in the short story. Yes. I I must admit, uh, as as a geek, there was one face that leapt out at me. <laughs> was that Chief O'Brien? But yeah, Cole, Cole Meany. Uh, yes. This is actually, a, this was, looking at the production dates, this is just before um, the filming of the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, really? I mean, I gathered it was an early role for him. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was right before. He, he'd or done a few a things, but yeah, I mean, this this was um, oh, basically over the summer of yeah. 87, and the filming, were, uh, Star Trek was late summer. Sorry, this this is January 87 when they were making this. The the, the Star Trek stuff was summer. Uh, he'd, had a, he'd done a few other things before, but they were all fairly small things. Well, I mean, to be fair, and bad news for geeks, he's barely in it. Yeah. Uh, he, he's oh, yeah. A visible, he's a visible presence. He has almost no speaking role that I recall, or his sure. background chatter. Yeah, I, I just find his face particularly recognisable. So. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, he does um, leap out. I mean, the acting is. Uh, well, I, well, I, I was going to say, I've, I've seen Angelica Houston in a few things, and I didn't find her immediately recognisable for what that's worth. Uh, I suppose I did, but I was kind of looking out for her. Um, I mean, the acting is okay. I d- it's hard to say this is stellar acting because they're not really people 
stretching themselves emotionally. I thought it was. I thought the spinsters were nicely done. They they have strong personalities. Um, uh, Embarrassing uh, drunk Freddy is an example of that thing Michael Caine was talking about. Where, where uh, 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 in his theatre days, uh, a, a director was saying, "No, no, what you're giving me is yeah. a sober man pretending to be drunk, and I want you to show me a drunk man pretending to be sober." Now, I'm assuming you mean that what he was giving us was a sober man pretending to be drunk. I, I, I didn't feel that it convinced. Exactly. It, it, was, okay. it was. It was. It was too much a stock role. I think. I think as he sort of sobered up towards the end of the night, it became more interesting. But mm. his immediate. His immediate opening scene was, oh, here's a comedy drunk. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't ring yeah. true. I agree. I completely agree. Uh, and and the other slightly less drunk guy um, pl- played, let us not forget, by the great Dan O'Hurley. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, who's another of those guys I keep seeing in things and thinking that, lo- that guy looks vaguely... Oh, wow, it's him. Yeah. It's completely <laughs> yes. unlike the last thing I saw him in, which is always one of my benchmarks for good acting. Uh, unless they're in uh, layers of latex or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, does that mean if you can recognise someone in different um, sci-fi uh, alien costumes that they're not a good actor? <laughs> it's the very opposite. Um, yes. But, yeah, I mean, Angelica Houston, I feel, does not really stand out in terms of the acting. I don't mean she does it badly. I mean, she doesn't She doesn't steal the scenes, and she probably doesn't, no, she doesn't, doesn't want to steal the scenes. That's fair enough. I think her acting performance after the dinner party is good. Yeah. But in the dinner party, she uh, blends into the background, I agree. I probably wouldn't have noticed her if I wasn't thinking, oh, there's Angelica Houston. Yeah, I mean, the, the, to, to counter perhaps the, the uh, flirtation we just mentioned, there's, there's a suggestion that she, she might be flirting with the tenor, I think, in a sort of vague way, but only a very vague way. I agree. And I think, I think it's fair to say that people who are fans of this film really enjoy the intricacy of the dinner party and all the things that are left unsaid and all the kind of undercovers that we're reading a bit of it into that you can read into it if you mm. want to uh, I, I think that's what a lot of people like about it, that it is well shot and well acted and well observed um, I just I didn't I didn't find it especially deep. Maybe on rewatching, which I'm not going to do, um, I would find it. I would find more layers under the surface and layers under that. Possibly, I just I wasn't compelled enough by any of the characters to feel the need to read any more than what was going on under mm. the surface. There was so, one thing that struck me as as really odd. Yes. Um, when Greta is playing the piano. I, I mean, I, I used to play the cello. I play, I play the guitar a little bit now. Um, and if I had practiced a fast piece like that well enough to play it without fault or hesitation, yes, I would know it off by heart. Particularly something that length. I mean, you just do. It's, this isn't this isn't saying I'm a great memory guy. This is just what you do when you've practiced a piece often enough to do it well. Well, I'm not musical enough to because some people do have the talent to just instantly pick up from the paper what they're supposed to do 
and just play it by looking at it without memory, I think. So I would give her the... I mean, she didn't strike me as that kind of musical genius. Um, mm. But there are people who have that ability, I believe. Um, I, d- I didn't think that was what was being portrayed. I think it was more... No, you know, I agree. I, she, play, play, looked... play her something, and then obviously she'd play something she was good at. But, yeah. No, I, I'm playing devil's advocate there, because I totally agree. <laughs> she doesn't appear... As some kind of maestro genius, she is clearly concentrating on the. It's not like Amadeus or um, or even Rocketman. It's uh, <laughs> that she. It's it's um, yeah. I agree. I'm just. Being I, I was just a little surprised because otherwise it's all you know reasonably accurate to the sort of things those people would do and say and so on. And I wonder whether maybe they just didn't have anybody working on the script who was enough of a musician to say, well, yeah, you wouldn't do it like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was just there as an aid memoir, but then she gets <laughs> her to turn the page halfway through. A, a similar thing, they could have done a similar thing to when, you know, we have the, the poet reading his piece. Well, he's not really a poet, is he? Because it's, it's not his own piece. The actor, or whatever he is, mm. uh, reading his dreary piece um, <laughs> <laughs> about love. And he, at the end of it, you know, he just, he he's clearly has memorised it. He's just using the piece there as a slight prop, and then he forgets about it after a while. Yeah, they could have done something similar. Yeah, uh, fair enough. It, it was just... <clears throat> to be fair, I stumbled over it because it was the thing that stuck out. It wasn't as if, you know, everything they were doing was were a little off. It wasn't. And th- therefore, when, when that thing was, it, it, it threw me. There's some nicely inver- in observed pieces, in, like the... Uh, I believe Cole Meany is one of them, the three guys who basically take the opportunity then to go out and get drunk, get more drunk, and mm-hmm. then come back in and applaud loudly at the end. Uh, yeah, so there's some nice pieces there. Um, mm. the, there's the nice kind of Gabriel stands up at the end of the meal and gives this sort of kind of sickly and, and sort of insincere uh, painting of the uh, of the spinsters that, that that everyone applauds is very polite about and likes it a lot but you can tell he i think his acting was good because you can tell sort of as he's reading it he doesn't quite believe it himself um and that mm. comes out again later on uh yeah, yeah. so no, I, I i mean i completely agree with you in this sort of situation where you're not carried away by the plot or the characters, all you've got left is to be like, well, that's a nice shot. <laughs> um, and and, and then, are. of course, there's, there's the other part of the film where, as everyone knows, the zombies attack. That's the name of the film. <laughs> this comes from me googling the dead and getting very excited about what sort of film it was. But unfortunately, <laughs> that was the dead 2010 or something, which is not, not the film we were hoping for. Um, and, and this whole time, I suppose, you're wondering what... Why are they, are these because they're acting like they're dead? Is it because they will be dead? Is it because I wish I was dead? <laughs> I, I, why is it? Uh, then we do learn uh, at the end. So, I mean, that's the dinner party. Then at the end, we have the last half an hour, maybe not even that, is from Angelica Houston's character, Loretta, is it? Um, walking down Greta. the steps. Greta. And uh, remembering this lost opportunity lost love this regret of hers and then gabriel coming to the realization that in all the years he's known his wife he's never known this and if this if this thing that is so fundamental to her character is something that he's only just found out about 
then how can you ever really know anyone and it's it's an it's a good it's an interesting epiphany i like it it's well done yeah and, and you know i'm i'm not really in love with her she's not really in love with me neither of us are going to do anything about it because mm. it's 1904 in dublin <laughs> yeah it's just a sort of sad realization of a truth that he kind of knew that she knows that they're not going to admit it's it's got a kind of howard's uh sorry the remains of the day vibe to it um uh, but it's—I feel like it's a fail. I don't know if it's a fail. Now, this obviously comes across in the short story in prose, um, because this is an inner turmoil with Gabriel hmm. and an inner realization. Um, and the—I feel like the film cops out. I don't know how else you would do it, but I wouldn't have tried to film this story. Um, well, it, it was generally regarded as unfilmable. And I, I feel this film kind of proves it right, personally, because the way this film deals with Gabe, displaying Gabriel's inner turmoil is suddenly reverting to Gabriel is now narrating this, and we're going to have some slow-moving shots of slow, of snow, <laughs> while he does it. Bit of a Freudian slip there. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, um, it just feels like at that point they're like, well, we've done what we can. Here's the bit of the James Joyce story we like, and they just read it. And it, I think I didn't absolutely check, but I glance. It's more or less word for word that closing narration with the closing epiphany in the short story, um, and that just feels like a bit of a cop out to me. That's like, you know, in Blade Runner, the original version. I appreciate the narration in Blade Runner because I do like to be told what to think sometimes. Just, <laughs> just, um, but now, now I understand like the premise of Blade Runner. I don't need the narration anymore. I just I'm happy to watch it without. Um, yeah. it, it's better with it. But if this film ended without the narration and just Gabriel gazing out of a window, which would have been maybe the artsy way to do it or the not John Huston way to do it, I would have been. Fucking incensed by the whole film. I would have been like, what was all that about? Would I have got the point of Gabriel's sadness? Um, but I, I suppose my point is, maybe that would have been the way to do it, to leave you asking what is going on, except then you'd go back and read the story. It would be the more filmic way of doing it, I think. I yeah. mean, narration like that feels... I, 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 th I think we're coming to the same place from different angles here. Mm. It does feel like a bit of a cop-out. It's, it's not... Yes. You know, you, you have tools for telling a story in in film, yeah, and it's not one of the native tools. It it it's yeah. It feel, I mean, there are some films that suit it, but it you know it, you know show don't tell. Mm. Well, you can't show that, or I, I mean, maybe you can. I but I I don't <laughs> feel like John Huston tried here. He just told it at the end. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's. It does work, though. Um, I mean, I don't love it. I, I wouldn't even say particularly I enjoyed the film, but I do admire it. I mean, I, I'm with you that, again, we're in agreement that I was, you know, one of my things I've, I've said in Ribbon of Memes is if I'm emotionally moved by a film, that's good enough for me. I'm happy. And it did. At the end, it moved me and I felt Gabriel's pain and loss, uh, and sadness. I just, I didn't need to, <laughs> I didn't need the dinner party before that. And I didn't, I felt like it moved me because of what James Joyce wrote, not because of what the film was. 
I I, th- I think one could. Um, the the obvious step to do would be to collapse. And I've, I've, I've just had had a look at the timings, and uh, Greta on the stairs is at sixty two minutes out of eighty three, so about three quarter mark. So uh, twenty one minutes of of story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you could collapse the dinner party. You could collapse it to half its length. It wouldn't, I, I it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as faithful an adaptation, but you. But no, it wouldn't. The thing is, at that point, you'd have a twenty-minute film. Yeah, and that I think that's the fundamental problem with the film. I, there is nothing that goes before. In that dinner party, there is almost nothing, not quite nothing, but almost nothing about Gabriel and Greta's relationship. Hmm. Almost nothing. So there's nothing that you get. I a mean, little they, bit they, they split up rather than constantly talking to each other, but that's just standard party behaviour. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not. It's not. Um, and there are some hints for both of them that there are other romantic interests, as we've said. Maybe we're reading too much into that, but we got what all else to do during this dinner party. We might. It, well it's at least hinted that that they might conceivably be open to the idea. Yes. Even yes. if even if neither of them is actually going to do anything about it. But I didn't. And all the other characters, I mean, the only other part that kind of comes back to reflection is he thinks about the spinsters. Uh, and I'm sorry, God, this is a very, this is a very sexist way of describing. It. He thinks about the hosts of the dinner party, um, and how, uh, well, I mean, they, 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 haven't, they haven't done their duty to get married and die bearing children. Exactly. Awful, (laughs) awful behaviour. But how frail they looked, particularly the older sister, um, and how he's kind of reflecting on what bullshit he was spouting earlier and how soon it'll be her funeral. And we're all going to die. I just feel it was a very long-winded way of, of saying what Dylan Thomas said in Do Not Go gently into that good night rage rage against the dying of the light and he took two lines to do it <laughs> um, I know it wasn't quite as simple as that, that wasn't the whole epiphany but it was part of it and I, do, I don't know what the dinner party had unless if I read the story and loved it then probably I'd have loved the dinner party, probably mm. but I don't know if I would have read the story and loved it or I, I, I don't know I don't know what it adds. I, I, I'm a little perplexed as to why that is so. Here's a question. We, we should you... perhaps have asked a James Joyce fan on to, to join us, but I'm not at all sure that I know any. If you're a James <laughs> Joyce fan, you're listening to this. Hey, give us a shout. We'd be interested oh, to hear from you. Yes, explain to it. <laughs> well, I'd like, I'd like to ask a question, and that is, would this film have been as highly regarded if it were not John Huston's final film? And indeed, if it were not John Huston's. Yeah, uh, and uh, that was a loaded question because for me the answer is no. I don't. That, this is a. Uh, I don't want to say minor league Houston because um, someone said that about the man who would be king. Wrong. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this feels like uh, he was obviously interested and preoccupied with the themes. He can't not have been preoccupied with thoughts of his own mortality. While he was making the film, mm-hmm. um, but it's here's here's it, the thing: when, when Lionsgate released the DVD of this, which hmm. was uh, 2009 or thereabouts, oh goodness, uh, they they chopped out ten minutes of the film, um, so ten minutes of fairly early in the film. Did anyone notice? 
well, reviewers complained. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how much difference did it make? That is a film, yeah, okay. I don't, I can think of ten individual minutes I'd lose right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, well, did you think the, I, I've said, I don't think the, the, do, was the journey worth the destination? Was the epiphany? It did move me. I found it an interesting epiphany. It was very human. It was well explained. It wasn't, it wasn't something that wouldn't, I felt like if I was in the same situation as Gabriel, yeah, I would probably have similar feelings. It felt like he touched me on a human level. It, just... it did feel to me like the beginning of the actual interesting story, which is yeah. the two of them have both realised this. Can they learn to talk about it? And, you know, try, try, yeah. to take, try to take steps, not just to be sitting there being unhappy for the rest of their lives, <laughs> by whatever means that might be. <laughs> And yeah, as said, you know, this is, this is 1904 Dublin, their options are limited, but. Yes. Yeah. It's. It, it seems very odd to say I, I didn't enjoy it, but I look back on it fondly. I think now I, I've, I, it's interesting. I feel exactly the same, honestly. I was, you know, the first half hour or so, um, uh, my girlfriend was watching me say, what are you watching? Um, and I was like, oh, God, I just, I want to die. And, and so <laughs> I was not enjoying the process of watching it. But, and I think this is a human thing, we are sensitive to the way things end. And if something mm. ends well, that makes us reflect back on the whole thing more rosily. If something ends like Lost does, then you, uh, even though I enjoyed the process of watching the episodes of Lost, because it had such a piss awful ending i think back on it very badly and indeed um harking back to last week's episode um the beginning of alien 3 re- yes. retroactively spoils the ending of alien 2 absolutely yeah and i think that is a human thing I, in many you know that's the case of you know relationships people you know uh lives that you're touched by if they end badly that touches your whole memory of everything mm to do with that and so that is my theory because I was pondering that very same question myself I, I think that is a, see there's an epiphany for you <laughs> uh, I, I think that is a, a because the ending I think we both found touching and moving at least in some way hmm. that it makes you feel of the rest of it more fondly yeah I mean had, had it ended at the 62 minute mark as they're leaving I I don't think I would feel. I don't think I would have the positive feelings I have now. I, w- yes. I would say that that was a very clever description of unpleasant people doing boring things. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Whereas I suppose Raging Bull, which is our go-to one that we were <laughs> less keen on, though you may have stand by me now, of course. Um, uh, Raging Bull did not end well. It was very clear it was not going to end well. It was unpleasant per- people. It was an unpleasant guy that it didn't end well for. I just, I didn't really vaguely care. a shame he didn't get shot, but hey, you know, you take what <laughs> exactly. you can get. Uh, I didn't really care for it or about it. Um, whereas this, the people were not, they weren't actively unpleasant. They just weren't people I wouldn't like to go to a dinner party with. Mm. Where's the board games for a start? Um, 
But yeah, well, I, that's I think the thing. I... You, you you could picture that. You you tell some of them I I played a game, and they'll think you're a weirdo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're talking yeah. about a thing that is not on the list of three things we're allowed <laughs> to talk about. That being the weather, the church, and politics. Two of which uh, yes. will start arguments. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had the opera to fall back on, I suppose, or mm. the, the musical theatre. Sorry, I should say. Um, yeah. Yes, I completely. I, I mean, we seem to be in exactly the same place. Didn't especially enjoy watching it. Uh, to be fair, clearly somebody likes that style of party, or people wouldn't keep having them. <laughs> I, I hope. Don't know. We should. I, it's just something to do, isn't it? I don't, it doesn't mean that everyone enjoys. I think the host enjoys that sort of thing, maybe, but it's really stressful for them. Everyone else going there wishes they weren't, for the most part. I think that's true of any party. In more normal times, I throw barbecues every few months. Mm. But I think there's a distinction there because it, it's in, intrinsically circulating um, if you want to, but if you want to stay and natter with someone for ages, that's fine. People come from different different uh, aspects of things, but I think because it's me and because this is a thing I do, if, if somebody wants to say, here's this really interesting thing I just did that you may know nothing about, then that's just fine. Yes, it's exactly. It's an acceptable yeah. topic of conversation. I guess we surround ourselves with people who, I, I suppose that's the other thing, is what it tends to be friends rather than family in that sort of situation. Mm. Um, yeah. Whereas this was a mix of friends and family. Um, yeah, I, I, I ultimately, I feel, interesting though Gabriel's epiphany was, I don't think it was a revelation to me, that thought, uh, I related to it and I agree with it, but it what it didn't change my perspective on anything. Oh, perhaps I'm asking a bit too much for a film, but <laughs> it wasn't an epiphany that I thought, "Oh my goodness, I must look at my life differently." It was just like, "Oh dear." Yeah, and to be fair, you know, we we've talked about, for example, have, having no, knowing how dysfunctional relationships often work being common knowledge now. Um, yes. I don't think there's anything here that would have been a revelatory experience for people in 1987 either. It may have been in 1904. I suppose <laughs> yeah, uh, that... I, I just checked. Yeah, the, the story was actually published in 14, but it's set in 04. Okay, so, all right. Yeah. So it may have been then, and I can see, you know, if you're trapped in that kind of relationship, reading that and thinking, holy shit, I'm not the only one that this happens mm-hmm. to. That That would be a huge thing then. As you say, in the in the late eighties, that wasn't a thing, and certainly now, um, when everyone's blogging about it, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it didn't feel especially revelatory, um, but it was well. I I like if, if it hadn't Joyce been made more. by John Houston or somebody similarly great, I'm not sure there would be anything here at all. Yes, I think you. That was one of the things, the first things you said when you told me you finished it, and I. I can't disagree with it. I, I mean, yeah, that's that. I, I'm glad I watched it. I like all John Huston, um, but it's a long way from here to the Maltese Falcon, mm. um, or the Man Who Would Be King, or the African Queen, um, or the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. All of which, and I appreciate people trying different things. But I, I I'm not anti-talky films. I'm not anti. I, I like to think I agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I think. Maybe I like, yeah, that, that, that last 20 minutes, as, as we yeah. keep saying, that, that would be yeah. good. It's just, it, it's that the, the first three quarters is both talky and directionless. 
Exactly. You have no emotional connection or interest with these characters. There's I mean, I, I, I was joking about it, but if at that point it had turned into a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> yeah. then we would then we would say, okay, you know, look forward, look backward. This this guy yeah. gets killed in a messy way because he's a coward, and we saw that coward is prefigured when he was being social at the party or whatever. Yes. Whereas everything we learned or tried to learn in the party is kind of cast away here. Mm. You you need some stakes, some emotional, physical, intellectual, something at stake for tension. And if there's no tension, I I don't really know what the point of fiction is at that point. <laughs> I might as well just be living my life. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would like just to uh, recapitulate uh, some of our uh, text discussion while, yes. while I, I had finished this and, and you were still watching it. You, at least in Raging Bull, some of them got punched. <laughs> Me, one of them does have enough sense to get out of this dreary gathering and bog off to a revolutionary meeting. You, oh, thank God, I thought this party would be the whole film. Me, I didn't say we followed her. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me, we said it much more succinctly there. Um, yeah, I mean, is this? Shall we move? On? Have you more to say? Uh, I, I think about... that's yeah. I think, I, we're, I, I think we're going about... around in circles and, and approaching the same core concept from different angles at this point. I think we have to admit we we flogged this horse. It died some time ago. Um, the, the snow's gathering on its corpse. Oh, the snow is gathering on its corpse. Um, the slow snow. Um, yes. So, is it a masterpiece? I think the answer for me has to be no, but in the same way as Paris, Texas isn't a masterpiece, but it has interesting things to say. It's interestingly shot. It does all sorts of things, not quite the standard way, a way that could stand perhaps to be imitated, but it also does things that are hugely annoying to us. <laughs> it's, uh, um, well, I suppose one of our things is was this influential <sighs> I don't think I mean this came at the tail end of the career of a hugely influential career but was this film influential I I don't I I have seen talk you know the Merchant Ivory films that you know I've touched on the remains of the day are kind of talky and buttoned down and stuffy um, but they do it in a way I'm not the hugest fan of those, but they do it in a way that builds stakes and interest and makes you root and at least hope that a character will behave differently. Uh, it doesn't really do that here, right? So I suppose I'm thinking of what is the the films that I've seen most similar to that, uh, to this, and and those would be they. But I'm I'm not sure how much influence this had on them. I, I don't know a lot particularly. Mm, I mean, it's it's not. I think there is a style of film that is what you might call you know, doomed romance slash unhappy love story. Yes. Uh, and I've seen one or two of those. I don't think this particularly informs them. Uh, no. Any more than the general, well, okay, here we are, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, those kind of films more explore relationships, more kind of ad nauseum. Uh, but yeah, this one didn't really. It's got this. It's a weird structure. It's got this whole extraneous, to me, extraneous. Uh, like a the first third of the first two thirds of the film are a third nipple. You just <laughs> don't need it. Um, Unless you're a pig. Uh, well, 
that's a fair point, sorry, a third human nipple, which <laughs> on any creature is, is clearly unnecessary. Was it a masterpiece? I don't want to say any of John Huston's work wasn't a masterpiece. It was beautifully shot, well acted. Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think it had it, anything. It had some interesting things to say. I don't think it said things that other films haven't said in a more interesting way. I think that's maybe my way of putting it. Mm. Sorry, John. We still love you. Yeah, uh, there is a comment from uh, Angelica Houston uh, some some years later, which is that she, as as far as she understood at the time, he didn't particularly think it was going to be his last film. Um, But he was that sort of American who gets completely struck by Ireland. I see. Okay. Uh, he did, in fact, become an Irish citizen um, some years earlier than this. So it, for him, it has a whole romance beyond the plot. So to, to him, Ireland is appealing in itself, whereas to us growing up with, well, it's just over there, and you know, they're people like us, and some yeah. some of them complete nusses. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, to me, would this have been? I I mean, to be fair, if this had been. Uh, an upper middle, I, I think they're kind of upper middle class, they, they don't seem to be upper class in this film, but I, I don't want to bring class too much into it if this Well, they, like they, upper... they, they rely on their own activities for income Oh, well yeah, fair point, there we go <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the gentry um, If this had been an English film of that, uh, I don't think it would have made much difference, I would have marginally enjoyed the accent Well no, what, what I'm saying is for Houston, I think it was that, that tinge of the exotic that, yeah. Whereas yes, exactly. for, for us, it just isn't. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, yeah, the setting is not... Uh, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Dublin set films uh, of that era, but you don't really see much of Dublin or learn much of Irish history, which is... The, the well, there's, there's the one statue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, there we are. The dead. Done. And this being the first... Uh, episode one uh, for the, for this year. Uh, shall we have a quick run through the box office? Of course we should. 1987 box office. I'm betting the dead does not trouble it. All that. Uh, neither the box office uh, nor the Academy Award winners. Was it nominated for anything? Ah, that's... Because our Pauline, Ka- Pauline Kale check-in, she flipping loved this film. Um, so did Roger Ebert, I believe. They, they thought it was beautifully observed. Uh, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Costume Design. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Which is... didn't win. That, that's always struck me as a bit of a slap in the face. You know, we, <laughs> we, we, we like bits of this film, but we don't want to honour the, honor the people who made it. But that that yeah. may just be me. No, I agree. I'd be a bit gutted if my film got Best Costume Design. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, at the Academy Awards, uh, we got The Last Emperor... Uh, we've got uh, Michael Douglas in Wall Street. We've got Cher in Moonstruck. All uh, of which I've seen. Sean oh, Connery no, I haven't the seen The Last Emperor. The Last Emperor is one of those films I feel like I have seen, but I haven't. <laughs> uh, best Foreign Language was Babette's Feast. Oh, yes. Uh, so, in the highest grossing films of the year, uh, this is, as usual, the US box office, uh, The Witches of Eastwick at number 10. Oh, goodness. Jack Nicholson I... is probably not actually the devil. <laughs> I can't remember if I've actually seen that. That's Angelica Houston as well, isn't it? I uh, don't think so. It was Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon 
Oh dear. All right. I'm uh, I'm getting confused then. Uh, All right. Well, she was see. busy doing this. Uh, which is another film with Veronica Cartwright in it. Oh. In, in, well, in a more really? minor role. I could have sworn I'd only seen her once. But <laughs> yeah, she's she, she's one of those adaptable actors. Uh, so number nine, Lethal Weapon, the original. Goodness me. Well, this is taking me back. Just hearing the names of them takes me Body back. Body cop, action, comedy, thriller. Well, I um, mean, they'll, they'll never do it again. And in, in at number eight, Buddy Cop action comedy that almost certain you've never heard of, Stakeout. I've seen Stakeout. Oh, it's wow. really good. Richard okay. Dreyfus. Richard um, Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, um, yeah. John Badham directed. I love that film. Okay. Goodness me. <laughs> There's a reason I do a film podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's, it's better than Lethal Weapon, I will agree. Uh, number seven, uh, The Secret of My Success, uh, Michael J. Fox, Helen Slater. Oh my goodness! I just—I'm feeling young listening to all these. <laughs> uh, number six, we just mentioned the Untouchables. So oh, I r- love that film. Brian De Palma. That is possibly the most filmic film I've ever seen. It's just so—I don't know. I'm not very good. It's so filmic. It's got nothing to do with reality, but it's—you've <laughs> got the characters. They're doing the film things. Here's his plot. It's so good. I don't know. I love it. It's uh, and Sean Connery. Uh, number five, romantic comedy uh, drama Moonstruck. Oh, yes. With Cher and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Uh, usually more interesting in other things. They're very interesting. Well, this was before he developed Cage Rage. <laughs> this is when he was establishing himself as an mm. actor. Before he, he has no need to do anything now to establish himself. Yeah, so it, it, why it... did you do the flipping. Oh, the remake of. Um, Oh my god, it's gone out of my head. The Wicker Man. Goodness <laughs> me, Nicholas. Even for you, that's a step too far. Uh, at number four, Good Morning Vietnam, which we may well come back to talk about again. We will indeed. Uh, number three, Beverly Hills Cop 2. So, talking, talking about sequels as we have been. Beverly Hills Copper. That yeah. would have been a great tagline. It's like Die Hard or only Copper. But it works in the UK because he'd be a copper. There we go. Back, back when we... Eddie Murphy was still vaguely funny. Oh dear, yeah. Well, he was in Shrek. He was all right. <laughs> uh, number two, Fatal Attraction, which oh, I have never feels... seen because I have never felt the slightest inclination to see it. It felt. I mean, women be time. crazy feels to me like not a terribly interesting or revolutionary thing to say. I mean, I yeah, you say... sleep, you sleep with and abandon them, and then they get all emotional. I know what's going on there. I did. I mean, it was certainly influential. Sadly, we got the term "bunny boiler" from it. Um, but looking back, it's incredibly misogynistic. <laughs> I just, I can't believe we didn't think that at the time. Uh, I was only twelve in my defence. Um, <laughs> Eleven in my defence. So that's why I did. And at number one, Three Men and a Baby. Talking of sexist films. Look, men can't do babies. Men's stupid. Oh dear. Tom Sollick, Steve Guttenberg, Ted Danson, and directed by Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) Was it I did not know that. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's the the holy quartet right there. Those four. Yeah. Yeah, well, I d- I d- it was the biggest hit of the year. It's interesting, but you know, coming up to eighty-seven, we've had sci-fi film, sci-fi film, um, and now this is all buddy cop movies and 
and crap comedies. And sequels. And sequels. Oh dear. Thank goodness things have changed. <laughs> we have superhero films now. I've got to be fair and say, to, to for me, they have changed because when I think, what film am I going to watch? Mm. I, I have basically the entire history of filmmaking to choose from. Yes. Which somebody in 1987 didn't. Well, that's an interesting... There's a point about... Um, I was talking to someone the other day about music and it's hard to define what modern music is because kids now have... The whole they're not surrounded by like when I was growing up it was all eighties music all the time, but now kids can listen to whatever they want to from whatever era they like, and it's all kind of mishmashed together in a beautiful sort of way yeah i i've I've known teenagers who became obsessive fans of the Beatles in yeah. in, in the last five years. Yeah, and ABBA, you know, they're resurging out. It's all, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. using these as sterling examples, but it's, yeah, it's an interesting time. And exactly as you say, we we are spoiled with the whole sphere of human history behind us. Um, yeah, uh, maybe not phrase it quite that way. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell them about what's happening on New Year's Day. They're not supposed to know yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. But we'll, uh, well, well, they'll know by now. So, so we'll be back, of course. We will be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still have a, a long tail after a sphere. That makes it a sperm. The whole of human history is a sperm. Um, it would explain a lot, really. <laughs> yes, yeah, it would. Well, there we are. One of our shorter episodes, um, I don't think we should waffle on further just for the sake of it, though. Um, but there we are. I'm, I'm glad I watched it. Mm, which is yeah. more than we've said about some of our films, I suppose. Yeah, that, and that's I the thing. Back... It, it, it's in that space of, I didn't hate it, I just didn't enjoy it, and there yeah. were things in it that I really liked. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's the point of us doing this, to some extent. Um, and we shall be back um, soon with, uh, well, well, we shouldn't reveal what we're planning to do. But it will be rather different to the dead, I suspect. <laughs> I think it will be fair to be say that there will be more automatic weapon fire. <laughs> there could hardly be less. After all, we never even got Rogers Aviation Corps or, or Rogers uh, Gun Corner in this one. Uh, there might be a bird in one of the shots. I don't remember. <laughs> we'll have to go to Rogers Carriage Corner for these. <laughs> well, at least they have them driving on the left, unlike uh, some films I've seen set at about the same time in England, which have the carriages driving on the right, because oh, obviously everybody drives on the right. <laughs> I mean, to a first approximation, that's true, to be fair. Anyway, there we go. The dead. Um, it's over. And so is this podcast. It's not my finest ending to a podcast, is it? But there we are. I, I have no pithy quote. <laughs> We've had an epiphany. Let's just keep it to ourselves, though. All right. Good. Good night. <laughs>